You're listening to Back to another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast between books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yu. And I'm Ri Rayu. And we are here for our mid month check in for the month of May, which is also Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, or as we like to call it, APAM. Um, it's been quite a busy month, um, which is why we're coming at you a little bit late this week. Yeah. Um, but uh, Rira, how, how has your. Heritage month been so far. Heritage month so far. Um, it's it, it's been it. There's been a lot of things uh, going <laughs> on. Um, my town recently had a book festival, and I ran into Henry and uh, C- oh, nice. I ran into I ran into Henry and CB, and it was just like really weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh hi, right? I mean, it's like a we're, we're building community out here. We're building a yes. family of book peeps. And that's really cool. Yeah, and I'm always seeing. Um, it, it's really weird because I feel like more and more Asian American authors are being featured uh, this month, whereas like other other years, it's just been like, oh, like let's list the same five Asian authors for APAM. Whereas like this month, it seems like there's more diversity. I think that's a good sign, right? It is a good sign. <laughs> I also saw um, Phil, Angry Asian Man's Instagram post, and I was super jealous that he got, like, all of these books from Penguin. Right. And I'm like, yo, where's my package at? Yeah, where's our books? (laughs) Well, to be fair, I did receive, like, two books from Penguin. Really? Yes. I haven't gotten anything from them lately. Oh, it was addressed to us, but... but they they mail it to me, so <laughs> because we gave them your address. I know it's it's yeah. a more permanent address, considering um, Marvin works at the collaboration office. And That's true, um, but it would just be really weird <laughs> if Marvin got like a bunch of books through collaboration. Yeah how um, how has your month been so far? It's been it, it started off super busy because I attended the 2019 Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival, which happens every year around around this time and um saw a bunch of films uh got to see i got, got to see the farewell again uh, the lulu wang aquafina film mm-hmm. uh, but it kind of um i was super tired by the end of it i think i watched like almost like 10 films over the entire week that that is a lot <laughs> and i you know stayed up went to the after parties um the thing with um events like APAM and the film festival is a lot of people these this is like the only time we get to meet it was just a lot of catching up with friends and just um just being with community which is great but afterwards I took a break so all of last week I kind of did nothing with the with APAM which is nice and then um these next two weeks are the last um the end of APAM uh which means there's still a couple more events to go to so yeah keeping busy Oh, I forgot to mention in the last episode, I went to a BTS concert. I I went both days and the most magical nights of my life. And that is how I kicked off (laughs) (laughs) Pam. I was looking at your stories and just stories of everyone who went and quite a bit of my friends also went both days. Yeah, yeah. Um, And were they 
were they the same show both days? Yeah, it was it was the same set list. I thought it would be different on the second day because I went to their concert last year and the set lists were different. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I, I went both days because my my friend had a spare ticket and I was like, <laughs> oh, hell yeah, I will go. And it was floor seats, too. So oh, I was wow. like, oh, man, this is the closest I will ever get to my favorite K-pop Isn't boy band. Isn't it crowded, though? Like- no, because they, they have... Um, it was seated, oh. so like there's like designated spaces, which is really really nice. Because <laughs> I am way too old to do standing room concerts anymore. That's the last true. the last time I did one was Epic High, and mm. that was like two years ago. Well, from what I've seen of Asian pop concerts, it's a lot more coordinated. I feel like than like the what you would expect from like a Backstreet Boys concert. Yeah, or... yeah. Oh, I mean, there's definitely more um, production happening, mm. so therefore they need to have way more coordination. Yeah. Well, I mean, even with the audience, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that too. Um, yeah, it was really interesting because a lot of um, a, a lot of people I know through this community, like I didn't know that they were BTS fans or even, <laughs> or even K-pop fans, and I would go through my Instagram, and I'm like, oh, they were here. <laughs> I mean, BTS is on Top 40 now, so... I mean, true, but like it, the thing about that concert was, we're going to move on to book news pretty soon, but um, the thing about that concert that was really nice was the diversity. Like Mm -hmm. there were uh, queer people, uh, people of all ages, races, and um, yeah, like some of the people that I know through the Asian American community who are like much older than I am went to the concert and I'm just like... (laughs) Why didn't you tell me we could, we could have hung out? Mm-hmm. Because I I'm not a young folk anymore. So, but it was nice, and uh, that's how I. It, it was nice, and we're gonna move on to book news because <laughs> I, this is a book podcast, and that's what we do. <laughs> no, I, I want to hear more about BTS. Tell me about your experience. Oh my god, we need another uh, podcast for that. <laughs> For more of my True. K-pop takes, you can follow me on Twitter at <laughs> Rirabu. Uh, we are here to talk about the latest book news for the month of May 2019. Uh, a quick reminder that our May 2019 Books and Bubba Book Club pick is This is Paradise by Christiana Kahakawila. And thanks to our book club member, Lauren Lola, for uh, sending us a voice file informing us of the correct pronunciation. Yeah, that was really helpful. Thank you so much. <laughs> I always feel really bad for butchering uh, Asian names on this podcast. We really do our best, but it helps when people send us audio files or if I find an audio book yeah. clip somewhere. I started reading the first chapter, the first story, uh-huh. and I have not finished yet. So, Oh, I, I just finished reading the first story, mm-hmm. and it is great. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm really excited to read all the other ones. I'm pretty sure all the other ones aren't like... Like as suspenseful as the first one, <laughs> I think the first the first story like definitely grabs you nice. and like sinks its teeth on you, and uh, I'm really excited to read the rest. Yeah, and you'll be hearing our thoughts about this collection of short stories on our discussion episode, which will be coming out at the end of May, beginning of June. Um, but let's take a look at the latest book deals in the world of Asian American literature. Um, Reba, what's our first story? Our first story is Putnam picked up Olivia Abtahi's Perfectly Parvin. Uh, the YA novel follows Parvin Mohammadi as she tries to get Maddie Fumero, the cutest boy at school, to ask her to homecoming. Her plan to win him over is to not talk too much, act like the heroine in her favorite rom-coms, and basically be everything she's not. 
but a wrench is thrown into her plans when a different boy from her Farsi class likes her just as she is. Publication is set for spring 2021. Ooh, this sounds like my jam. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> you are a fan of I this, love rom-com like, so much. Rom-com genre, especially like... Um, this, this, teens trying to emulate what they think yes, rom-coms are. Yes. Or this, what they learn from rom-coms. This totally reminds me of uh, Maureen Goose, I Believe in a Thing Called Love, yeah. <laughs> which Marvin still has my copy of and should probably read. And we also interviewed uh, Maureen on that book uh, a couple episodes yeah. back. And uh, We should catch up with her, too, because uh, she's Her new written, book's coming out. Yeah. And it's also, uh, <laughs> she, it has a K-pop star uh, as one of the characters. But this sounds great. Not just because the main character ha- is um, almost my name twin, but also um, it sounds cute. Yes. It's, uh, there's definitely room for um, like cute YA rom-coms with diverse cast members. Oh, and uh, for those who are curious, the the main character for this novel is Iranian-American. Mm-hmm. Um, our next story is Javelin acquired NPR investigative reporter Tim Mock's book, Misfire, which is described by the publisher as a groundbreaking work on the NRA. Um, Tim Mock uh, covers like social um, social issues and politics on NPR, I believe. Um, I haven't really heard much of this book simply because it just like got acquired and it probably doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> but um, it sounds interesting. Yeah. It's um I mean it's great to have uh diverse people writing all sorts of books, including nonfiction. Including yes. investigative um reporting too. I, I think, love yeah. reading books based on like investigative reports. I don't think I have. We should probably find one. Oh my god. Um I'm I I don't remember the title of the documentary, but I remember the book. Uh, I remember uh the book that it's based off mm-hmm. of. It's called Bad Blood. Okay, and uh, I think I think yeah, that's the one. It's the about, HBO um, documentary, yeah, Elizabeth Holmes, right? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Who who like makes this um, like printer size? Uh, it's supposed to be a blood tester, like a a, a blood lab um, tester, I guess. Yes, um, that's supposed to give you a full set of labs with a tenth of the blood. Yeah, which you know obviously is. A scam and <laughs> not possible. It's very, very interesting. And uh, my friend's reading the actual book right now, and mm-hmm. apparently goes into way more depth that depth than uh, the documentary. So nice. I really like this genre. We should probably read more of it for this <laughs> podcast. I just have to uh, do my research. Yeah. If anyone has any suggestions of what we should read, um, we'll take a look at it. Yes. Uh, next up is Page Street bought Lori M. Lee's new YA fantasy duology, which will begin with the book Forest of Souls. Blending Western fantasy tropes with Hmong shamanism, the story follows Shersha Ashwin, who is training to become the queen's next royal spy. When she learns that she's a rare and powerful lightwender, she is summoned to the realm of the Spider King, where her newly awakened abilities are needed to cull the bloodthirsty dead wood. Publication is set for spring 2020. Congratulations, Lori. Next up, Abrams acquired world rights to Rahani LaRocca's Where Three Oceans Meet, illustrated by Archana Srinivasan. Uh, The picture book follows a girl who travels with her mother and grandmother to the tip of India and learns about the strength and love that women pass down to their daughters across borders and oceans. Publication is scheduled for spring 2022. 
Uh, next up, we have another picture book.、Uh, Make Me a World picked up teen climber Ashima Shiraishi's debut picture book, How to Solve a Problem: The Rise and Falls of a Rock Climbing Champion. Illustrated by Yao Shao, the book follows Ashima on her journey to become one of the top climbers in the world, teaching readers how to think like a climber to overcome any problem they might face with grit and determination. Publication is set for spring 2020. That's actually pretty timely because、um, so Ashima is one of the top、um, wall climbing, like rock wall climbers in the world, and the 2020 Olympics is, will be the first year they're introducing rock climbing to the Olympics. I'm sure that's what the publishers had in mind. So yeah, I mean,、um, people have covered her on a lot of explainers and、mm-hmm. a lot of videos、yeah. on, on the internet. And、um, actually, a friend of mine is actually producing a documentary about her story. So、uh, it's really cool to see her、uh, getting more recognition. Recognition leading up to Olympics, like she's literally gonna be our next Chloe Kim. So watch out for that. These young people, you know, <laughs> coming up. Yeah. In the world. <laughs> I know what are we doing with、I、our feel, lives. I know what are we doing with our just, just lives. Just reading about them, I guess.、Um, next up, in a six-figure preempt, Harper Design acquired international journalist and Stanford professor Sima Yasmin's book "Muslim Women Do Things." The book is described to be an illustrated collection of stereotype-shattering stories that showcase the diversity of what it means to be a Muslim woman and non-binary person in the world today. Profiling Palestinian race car drivers, Iranian astronauts, and much more. This book will also be a debut for illustrator Famida Azim, whose work has been published in the New York Times. This sounds pretty cool.、Um, I'm not sure like what it will look like. I guess because I've definitely seen、um, like illustrated like encyclopedias before for、mm-hmm. adults. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's a bunch of maybe vignettes、mm-hmm. or biographies. Yeah,、um, but six figures. We'll、get yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I, man, I was really surprised when I saw that. <laughs> I was like, "Dang, they thirsty." I mean, if the market says they want it, they want it, right? I、And、mean, I'm great... pretty sure it will do really, really well.、Um, I don't own this book, but、uh, there—I forgot the title—but it was about women scientists throughout history,、mm. and it was also illustrated and. Um, it it was kind of like a book that you can give to、uh, young readers who can you know read pretty well, yeah, and also really educational for adults. So I'm guessing, <laughs> I'm guessing that that is kind of like the demographics that they are going for 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 this book. When I was a kid, I had an illustrated encyclopedia of Star Wars shit. Oh, really? And that's how I know way too much about the now non canonical expanded universe. Of Star Wars. That that's really funny because <laughs> I recently bought my nephews like a illustrated Star Wars encyclopedia for them, <laughs> for them because、yeah. I was like, it has pictures. You guys like Star Wars? Read more. Yeah. Uh. So last up in our list of book deals is Cameron Kids bought world rights to What's Growing in Mummy's Tummy. Mummy's tummy, God! Like, why am I suddenly British already? <laughs> Cameron Kids bought world rights to what's growing in Mummy's tummy, a board book by author illustrator Rachel Chuchi Lee. The book teaches young readers how a baby in Mummy's tummy grows bigger every month, from the size of a poppy seed to a raspberry, from avocado to mango to watermelon. Publication is set for spring twenty twenty. What's the use case? This is probably something you give to. Your kid, if you're about to give them a younger sibling, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think it's I think it's pretty cute. I mean, kids ask adults all the time、That's、about、true. like how biology works. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that this、uh, takes place after the dirty parts. 
Of course. <laughs> um, moving on to the latest book news, um, Books and Boba. Ooh, this is about us. Yeah, humble, <laughs> humble bragging here. Was featured on Listen Notes list of seven bookish podcasts for avid readers on the go. And we were also featured on Apple Podcast 2019 APA Voices um, collection. Yes, I've been seeing the same graphic kind of floating around all yeah all, in all of my <laughs> social medias because all of my friends and colleagues are listed on uh, on the yeah. Apple podcast. It's list. pretty cool. I mean, uh, uh, taking a look at the list, it just looks like they took last year's list and added a couple new podcasts. Yeah, um, but it's great that we're getting recognition again. Um, I was just like, yeah, we're we are pretty much the only literary podcast out of that list except for 88 cups of tea yeah. but uh which which is a great show by the way um but they usually cover like they inter- they're more about the process and yeah writers they're more about and, the yeah. process and storytellers and not just like novelists but also like screenwriters yeah. so it's a little bit different from our show but i would definitely recommend it it is great they have a really great interview with rf kwong who was just in town for the nebulous um she didn't win but to be nominated for her first book is pr- a pretty big deal, and also uh, Julie Dow had a really good, uh, a really yeah, good, a really good interview. interview there too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thank you to Listen Notes and to Apple Podcasts for recognizing Books and Boba as the best book-based podcast in the world. With, with that features Asian authors, <laughs> so we have to we have to always add that in parentheses. <laughs> Just let me have this. Um, and for those of you listening, um, you know, if you can share our the post that we made on our Twitter to let other people know how awesome we are, um, that would be greatly appreciated. It would be a great APAM gift for us. Um, uh, I was looking at our Twitter feed earlier today because we were pretty active. Um, you had shared the Apple podcast uh, list of APA podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of your friends was just like, I... I didn't know you had a book club podcast. Oh, and I'm like Marvin. We've we've been active for like three years. To be fair, I well, just met that person okay. last night. Okay, never mind. So I was like, are, are you ashamed <laughs> of this podcast? Are you not sharing it with your friends? People know I have this podcast. This is probably my most successful podcast that I produce. Oh, that's to be kind honest, of saying something because you <laughs> you produce a lot of podcasts. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I'm I've been I. It's been it's actually been my most our most consistent podcast, believe it or not, because we've literally read a book a month for the last like two and a half years. Yes. Which is amazing. Which, which is something. Yeah. Yes. Um <laughs> So uh we're gonna move on to the next piece of news. Uh so Deadline reported that Netflix will adapt uh Aaron Entrada Kelly's middle grade novel, Hello Universe, uh, into a family film. Uh, the book won the 2018 Newbery Award, and the adaptation will be penned by Michael Golomko, uh, who is a playwright and the screenwriter of Always Be My Maybe. And uh, it will be produced by Forrest Whitaker and Nina Yang Bonjovi. Bonjovi, yeah. Yeah, Bonjovi of Significant Productions. Yeah, uh, which is pretty exciting because I know both Mike and Nina. Um, Nina Yang Bonjovi is literally a super producer she is the person responsible for films such as fruitville station dope um sorry to bother you like she literally all of my favorite things yeah she literally just like she she's pretty much responsible for ryan coogler's career like the director of black panther creed 
um, and the original Fruitville Station. And and it's super exciting that she's producing because everything she makes is good. Yeah, and Michael Lomko, who also used to write for Grimm, um, has been just um he's he's been killing him for the last um that that makes me feel really um like relieved mm-hmm. because adaptations are always you know always tricky right yeah so if you have one element wrong things can really go askew so it's <laughs> nice that they have like someone who who is a very uh, reliable producer and a screenwriter who is you know who's yeah. also Asian American <laughs> and also like can write in that voice and is very very good That's at what true. he does. So yeah. um for and- those of you who don't really know what Hello Universe is about, we have covered it briefly in other um news episodes, but I'm just going to uh summarize it briefly. Uh, Hello Universe tells the story of a friendship formed by three middle schoolers. Uh, there's Virgil Salinas, a shy boy living in the shadow of his boisterous family, uh, Kaori Tanaka, a self-proclaimed psychic, and Valencia Somerset, who is ostracized at school because of her near deafness. When a bully traps Virgil and his pet guinea pig at the bottom of the well, it's up to Kaori and Valencia to find their missing friend. That sounds actually pretty... It's kind of like... Shades of like stand by me a little bit. I'm trying to think like yeah. what what else it reminds me of. Yeah. But like the book is definitely at the tip of my tongue. Yeah. But do you know if there's like fantastical elements to it or is it just I, kind of like more of a, a, a kid adventure? I think it's thing? more of kid adventure. I don't think it is uh, magical in any way, but it does. You know, I, I love friendship stories. So yeah. this this sounds really cute. And it sounds like it's going to be very, um, I guess, like emotionally edgy like it will teach kids empathy <laughs> right because you have three characters who are from very very different backgrounds and you know yeah it's about standing up to bullies and working together and all that good fuzzy stuff very excited about where this project goes and um congrats to everyone involved sounds like it's gonna be great um, our last news story is Netflix announced an open casting call for the role of Claudia Kishi for the remake of The Babysitter's Club. Who do you think should play her? I don't know. I mean, the casting call asked for a 12... Like, Claudia is described to be 12 years old in this remake mm. and also Japanese-American. I am curious as to whether or not they're going to be super strict with the Japanese-American part. Right. Um, for me personally, I think it's fine if it's played by any east <laughs> any east asian american uh actor who can pass as a japanese american on screen mm-hmm. but i do understand like like maybe the outrage if that does not like if if they don't cast a japanese american actor i mean the bigger outrage would be if they casted a non asian no actor, yeah i know? know i know i'm just saying like um, cuz it it's kind of like how um for to all the boys I loved before, there mm-hmm. was all that um, not controversy, but there was like a lot of criticism about not casting um, the main the main character as a mixed race Asian American, yeah. which is like a little bit different from casting someone who is say like Korean American rather than Japanese American. Um, but we'll see. I, I mean, Netflix so far has had a pretty good run with adaptations and also representation yeah. in their works. I mean, unlike a lot of people, I have zero emotional attachment to the Babysitter's Club. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Ironically, 
Like uh, there was an ar- there was an article that was passing around uh, earlier today about um, like Maureen Goo, Sarah Kuhn, and yeah. a bunch of other Asian American authors. They were featured on it, and they were talking about how Claudia Kishi uh, informed their writing and inspired them to write. Yeah, I've said this before, but like maybe it's just the way our like our society genders like kid stuff. That was always like the girl book to me, right? So I was reading. I read a book that was like the Karate Club. Which is like a karate club. It was like a bunch of like it was like three brothers who like are different levels of karate-ness. And um I don't know I don't remember the details anymore, but I think they were mixed race, um, half Asian. But um if any if anyone can um remind you what that story is about, that's where I learned what the solar plexus is, where you punch in the stomach. Anyways, uh good luck, good luck to, everyone. to everyone um going out for this casting call and I'm, I'm I am looking forward to what comes out of it. I, I really hope that it's Whoever plays Claudia is a fresh face mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, another star is born like in Moana. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it when unknowns get cast into things. Yeah. Um, and we have uh, we actually have a couple other film related news. Yes. Uh, they're not really concerning uh, Asian American or Asian authors, but it does relate to I guess representation, representation diversity. and stuff. Yeah. Um. We'll we'll start out with the s- somewhat lighter piece of news, uh-huh. I guess. Uh. So Nicola Yoon, um, her book "The Sun Is Also a Star" came out in theaters last week, uh, mm-hmm. on May seventeenth. Uh, Nicola Yoon, by the way, is not an Asian author. She is a she is a black author. And she's married to a Korean-American engineer. So that's why her last name is Yoon. But um, I read The Sun is Also a Star, um, I think, right when it came out. And I absolutely love this yes, book. I've seen it on your, on your bookshelf. Yes, yes. Yeah. It is It is so cute. And it's so, like, it's about... Um, so, so to just give you the gist of it, it follows two teenagers. One is... Um, this Jamaican-born American uh, girl who whose family is about to be deported uh, the next day, and um, she's from Brooklyn, and she you know she's really into science, and she really wants to like have like like she really wants to stay in America like <laughs> the, the right, end of it. And right. then um, the other character is a Korean American boy who is interviewing to get into. Uh, into like Ivy League schools mm-hmm. so um, he can become a doctor, which is what his parents want. But in reality, he is a really gifted poet and he really wants to go into writing. Mm-hmm. And the story takes place uh, over the course of a day. Oh, okay, so and it's like a, a before sunset type yes, of thing? Yes, yes, it is like <laughs> a before sunset thing. And um, pretty much like um, Daniel, who is the who is the Korean American boy, he falls in love at first sight with uh, Natasha, who is the uh, Jamaican Jamaican born American girl, and he's just like, you know, we're meant to be, <laughs> and just give me a day to like woo you over, and um, so they pretty much like go on like all these dates uh, throughout New York City. While like you know, this is her... that one episode from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, <laughs> right? and like, and, and you know, like. At the same time, like, he finds out that she's about to be deported, so they try to, like, delay it in some ways. And it's really, like, I think it's really timely, and um, it it's a beautiful love story, in my mm. opinion. I 
Did I you watch the movie? No, I haven't. Mm. Although I will say that, like when the casting was announced, I know there was another like outrage over I mean, uh, Daniel Daniel Bay's um, uh, Daniel Bay the the character's casting because he, he's played uh, by Charles Melton. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And people were like, "Oh, he doesn't look Korean. He doesn't look East Asian." And I'm like, "Well, tough luck. He is he is Korean. Like <laughs> like I think it's his mom who's Korean. I'm not sure, yeah. but he he is mixed race Korean and." Like I'm just like whatever. Like he he looks fine. Like <laughs> my only complaint is that he looks a little bit too old to play like a teenager. But like I was fine with it. Whatever. That's my personal <laughs> opinion. I mean, I think. Um, I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's the same. Like it's the same suspension of disbelief that we gave. You know, like Lana Condor as a half Asian sister to two other half Asian sisters. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but it was a little like because. Jake Choi plays his brother. His parents are all full Asian. So, I mean, I I don't know if white audiences didn't notice, but it's definitely a little noticeable. Yeah. If, if you do pay a little bit of attention. I think it's more just, it just shows that um, studios are still hesitant when it comes to Asians, especially leading men, you know? Yeah. Which uh, which is why I'm glad like that um, things like Always Be My Maybe is coming out soon that might, you know. Definitely. Um, but... I have not watched the movie yet, and I actually don't know what critics have been saying. It's been mixed. It's and been it, mixed. Yeah, okay. it didn't do so well. Like, it got um, literally murdered by John Wick during the weekend. Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> um, so we'll see. I mean, um, it still has, um, I think it still needs, I, I don't know if it's releasing worldwide, but um, I think it made back its budget at least. So yeah. that's good. But um I'm I'm gonna compare this adaptation mm-hmm. to the next adaptation I'm gonna bring up, which forgive my rage, but <laughs> I, I you've been warned. So Rainbow Rainbow Rowell's book Eleanor and Park is being made into a film. I think it's Plan B that is producing it, and uh, Rainbow Rowell, uh, the author, is going to be writing the script, and she's also going to be the executive producer uh-huh. now uh this book is also a love story between um like an asian boy and um and a non-asian girl so it's actually a white girl and and an asian boy and it takes place in nebraska i would i would like to say mm-hmm. um don't quote me on that so um these two kids they these two teens they kind of form a romantic relationship on on like their school bus and um it's not as fluffy of a of a story um, as it seems because the main girl is from a very um, she's from a household where there is like abuse happening uh-huh. and uh, with the with the Asian boy who who's actually um, mixed race like his dad is white and his mom is Korean he's having issues with identity and. Um, kind of self-loathing and it sounds you know it sounds it sounds interesting right but what it was executed in a very clumsy way and uh if i'm brazen uh, brazen enough to say it had it definitely had racist uh stereotypes (laughs) and i i can't really judge it um as well as other people have because i have not read this book Uh uh-huh but um, I I so wish that Wendy Shoes uh, Tumblr hasn't shut down. Um, the creator of Angry Girl Comics, mm-hmm. because she 
like a couple years ago when the book came out, she wrote like this, like <laughs> this righteous takedown of 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 the book and why it it catered to like racial stereotypes. Um, from excerpts that I've seen, it's definitely it definitely plays into like like exotic like orientalism yeah orientalism as in like he, um the the boy is described as like silky silky black hair almond <laughs> eyes and uh he's there's really not much in in substance to his character other than like him looking asian what kind of, i've always been fascinated not fascinated confused by the descriptor almond shaped eyes yeah everybody's eyes are freaking almond (laughs) like who who cares like if your eyes are not almond you're an anime character because that's just the way eyes are and i get it it's coded for asian eyes but i mean how do you describe asian just say asian eyes just say asian eyes they have east asian features like it's not that hard you don't have to like describe the slantiness of yeah. my, you know. Yeah. I what <laughs> just why um but yeah, there was like descriptions like that mm. where it just kind of plays into exoticism and also uh him being like I I wish I was like my my brother who looks more white than Korean. And I'm like, "Okay, like like I know that self-loathing is, you know, kind of part of growing up." especially if you're from two cultures and you're trying to like find your identity mm. but the book doesn't end with him being all okay with him being asian american it's just right. he it just kind of ends with him like hating himself for his asian culture and heritage and i'm like this is like yikes like yikes so I'm guessing the community is not for this. At no, <laughs> at least the Asian American community is is not for um for this adaptation. I think, like I remember um, when this book first came out and like the outrage over it, and I think it was like very, very much well deserved. And uh, the author, I think she she did release an apology, but then a couple years. Later, she kind of like stood her ground and said that, you know, her representation was was good. Mm. And I, the reason why I wanted to talk about or wanted to bring up Rainbow Verwell's adaptation is to also just kind of briefly compare to Nicola Yoon's adaptation because they're both not Asian authors, mm-hmm. but Nicola Yoon, in my opinion, um, did a fantastic job in depicting um a Korean American a Korean American character um who you know you kind of see where he's coming from you kind of see um like you you see more of his parents background rather than like like oh like my my mom wants to erase all traces of of my Korean heritage because that's like that's considered inferior. It's it's not like that in Nicola Yoon's book, um, and I I think it really helps that like you know she was she's married to a Korean American guy and mm. she's able to like get those accurate uh, ac- accurate descriptions like what is it like to be uh, what is what what is it like to be a Korean American male and how also like anti blackness that that's like 
briefly mentioned in the book. Um, yeah, so it's just you have two separate instances of of authors who are not Asian and trying to depict an Asian character and who does it successfully and who doesn't. I mean, it, I guess it comes down to this idea that, like, I don't think, I think people outside of specific cultures can still write about that culture. Like, Oh, yeah, definitely. But we're at a time and place where it needs to be more than just, like, you need to do the work. You need to, like, really go beyond the surface level assumptions you have of what it's like to be Asian or Black or Latino or or marginalized or queer, right? You need to, if you're going to write something that centers on that perspective, you need to understand that perspective. And like, you don't need to be immersed in it or to like, to disappear into it. But you need to understand that like, you, there is a responsibility if you're going to be depicting a story centered on something that you don't personally experience to be respectful of that experience, to understand that, you know, like maybe I don't, I don't know what it's like to live your life, but I do understand that it's different, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think in this day and age, that is the at least bare minimum of what you should be thinking about when you're writing about these stories. Yeah, I think it's it really definitely just comes down to research and respect. Like, if you're going to write, if your main character is a doctor you're gonna talk to a doctor and figure out like what it's like and uh what are the requirements and what is what does their home life look like and how does their like how how do they go about their day and all that stuff and um also since we mentioned babysitters uh club that's written by a white lady or was written by a white lady now it's like a series of different writers but it was originally written by um Shoot, I don't know her name. Anne Martin, I think. It was originally written by Anne Martin. And she was able to write Claudia in in like a believable way that it resonated with so many Asian and Asian American authors. And it just goes to show that you can write other ethnicities, you can write other people's experiences, but it has to come from a really tangible place. Um uh, the article that I mentioned earlier in this podcast, uh, where it it interviewed a bunch of Asian American authors who talked about Claudia Kishi, uh, the editor of the Babysitters Club, he mentioned how um, the author, like all of the characters, are from like the author's life. She like her um, her childhood friends, teachers, uh, local kids in her neighborhood. So it came from a place where she could actually draw experiences from and i'm just saying like you are allowed to write whatever the hell you want but really take responsibility <laughs> um like i said earlier i have not read eleanor and park but i definitely don't ever plan to read it a <laughs> uh, funny story is that at our first book club meeting after we had talked about heroin complex, um, someone, someone from the book club came up to me and asked, um, uh, not asked, but said, "Oh, you should, you know, talk about Eleanor and Park." And I, th I think, I think my gut response, like, because I responded like almost immediately, no, 
And I was like, no, like we we're not reading that. And the reason why is because this person is not Asian. And <laughs> as important as representation in literature is, I think it's more important to represent Asian and Asian American voices rather than yeah. just representation on the page. Because as you can see, it can go really, really wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Rainbow Rowell's book reached the New York Times bestseller list, which is why this is being made into a movie because it was hugely successful. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the people reading it aren't reading into it as much as we are. But I think when the people you're trying to represent is upset about that representation, I mean, it's, you need to, you need to think about that. And I don't know, maybe like we'll see how that affects how they adapt this into a film. Okay, here's right? the thing. I would have bigger faith in this adaptation if Rainbow Rowell wasn't writing the script. Mm. Like, if they had hired an Asian American, a Korean American screenwriter, which there are a lot of, by the way, like, I would be like, okay, they might be <laughs> able to do this right. They might be able to, um, by having like newer voices, more like people who actually come from that culture. Like maybe it will turn out to be okay, mm. but my faith in it right now is like not very. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, take Crazy Rich Agents, right? Like they, they had like Adele Lim came in and kind of punched up that script, and a lot of the things that we loved about that adaptation that we that was new that was added in addition to stuff that happened in the book, came from Adele's, you know, punch-up. So, you know, there are there are ways to save it, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, needless to say, we are, we're, we are not looking forward to it. <laughs> I actually, like, I'm indifferent towards it. Mm. But um, I, I just, if you are ever recommended... Eleanor and Park by by people who are like, oh, it's a fun love story, and you know it has like Asian American representation. You are you have been warned because <laughs> I've definitely been recommended this book by non Asian friends, not knowing how harmful some of the depictions were. So, oh, there you have it. You can still enjoy problematic things. Just just know that they're problematic. <laughs> And I guess on that note, we'll call it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thanks for joining us as we go over the latest book news and book deals of um, in the world of Asian American literature. Um, and Rira Rance. A quick reminder again that our May 2019 book club pick is This is Paradise by Christiana Kahakawila. It's going to take a couple times for us to like nail it, but <laughs> I... I, I hope that by by the discussion episode, we will be able to yeah. say uh, say the correct pronunciation. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who have already shared their thoughts about the book on our Goodreads forums. Um, if you are reading along with us, um, please sound off. Let us know what you think about the book, and we'll include it in our discussion episode. Um, I also want to mention that a poll went up on our um, on our Twitter account. Oh yeah. Uh, because we're we, finally going to yeah. read. Because <laughs> as promised, we're going to be reading our very first Murakami book on this podcast. And in life. And in life, because yeah. neither Marvin or <laughs> I have read a Murakami book before. So um, we have listed a couple of titles on the poll, but you are welcome to um, 
to tweet us recommendations that are not included in that poll. Yeah. I will say that we have excluded IK84 and uh, Norwegian Wood. IK84 is like nine, 900 pages and mm. we, we don't have time for that. And um, Norwegian Wood, I know that is like the book that pr- propelled him into fame, but it's also about suicide. And mm. uh, I... I Sometimes I'm sometimes I'm okay with it, but I'm gonna just say pass on on <laughs> this this time around. So uh, please understand that uh, we will not be considering it for for next yeah. month. But all the other books are up for grabs. I'm, ex- I'm I'm like almost scared that after we read it, we'll be starting to see his influence in every other book we read because apparently he's super influential and everyone wants to be him. So. Well, we've read a couple of books already where people have said, oh, this is just a Murakami book. <laughs> so, like, I wonder how my reaction's going to be. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're going to be putting that poll on our Twitter. Um, so check out at Books and Boba and let us know what we should read. Um, and yeah. Right now, uh, the lead is Kafka on the shore. Oh. That's winning right now. Okay. But yeah, thanks so much for listening. Um, before we go, I want to give a quick thank you to the Potluck Podcast Collective, um, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian American community. We're proud to be members of this collective and you can check out our fellow podcasts. Many of them also listed beside us on that Apple podcast list um, by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. This podcast was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios located within the Visual Communications offices at the Union Center for the Arts in Little Tokyo, Los Angeles. Uh, thanks to Visual Communications for letting us this space and congratulations to them for um, pulling off their Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Uh, you can learn more about VC by going to their website at vcmedia.org. Uh, so yeah, that'll do it. Bye, Bye. everyone. We're still here, and we're going strong. It's an exciting time in Asian America. There are more movies, TV shows, books, and music reflecting us than ever. But all of these represent just a small slice of Asian American culture and experiences. So what do we do? Tell more slices. Asian Americana is a show that explores these slices of distinctly Asian American culture and history. We've talked about how Chinese Americans built California's Sacramento Delta, the art scene turns gallery institution giant robot, a play that explores the lost Cambodian pop music of the 60s and 70s, and, of course, Boba, just to name a few stories. You can find Asian Americana at asianamericana.com or on your podcast app.